Welcome to the podcast, Global Mobility Unplugged, hosted by Equus Software. Join us as we speak with industry innovators to uncover new perspectives and unique approaches to the challenges facing global mobility teams today. Welcome back to Mobility Unplugged by Equus Software. So today we are welcoming Des McCall from the Net Expat to talk about DE&I, diversity, equity and inclusion. So Des, please tell us a bit about yourself. Delighted to, yeah. Uh, thanks for the introduction and welcome. So my name is Des McKell. I am Vice President of Advisory Services and Global Strategic Partnerships at Net Expat. Essentially that means two things. I take care of our UK and Ireland clients also drive the strategic partnership with uh, organisations like Equus. So it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. And can you tell us a bit about NetExpat and what the company does? Sure. Yeah, very simply, we exist to help organisations overcome the number one reasons for moves either being rejected or failing. And we do that through the delivery of intercultural training and support to the relocating partner or spouse. And we're present in over 85 countries around the world. DE&I is a massive topic. It's very hot right now. There's a lot of companies talking about it. A lot of companies that are really struggling to make those first steps. You know, what can they do to, to really move towards this sort of critically important topic? I think at the moment we want to establish really what DE&I means to, to you and to many clients. So can you help us understand a bit about diversity, equity, inclusion, what that means to you and, and perhaps within your company and, and your role as well? But I think we, as a starting point, just need to get comfortable with the terminology, right? So whether it's DEI, whether you prefer IND, whether it's DIB, it doesn't really matter. I think it's just getting comfortable and spending a bit more time understanding it. It's massively multi-layered. I think in that sense, it can be very easy to overcomplicate the conversation, but I think we can also be guilty of underestimating the topic. And, and for a lot of people, it really stops at gender. That's not a bad starting point, but there's so much more than, than, than it just being gender. And I think if we also reflect on our own personal diversity DNA, if you like, it's, it's complex, highly complex. So Lottie, you will see, because we're in the same room, you'll see that I'm a, a white male. Your listeners may, may have been able to guess that. You might be able to estimate my age just by sort of taking a, a, a look, but that's it. That's really all I'm sharing with you, but I'm so much more than that. So I'm heterosexual. I'm a parent. From a religious standpoint, I'm, I'm agnostic. I have pretty poor long sight vision. I often struggle to hear in a busy room. So all of these other components really, really make up, you know, who I am from a diversity point of view. And I think for me, the, the analogy that I really like, and I think hopefully your listeners will as well, I've, I've unashamedly stolen it from some LinkedIn learning that I've been doing recently is referenced as DIBND, so diversity, inclusion, belonging, uh, and equity. So most of us have heard the analogy of diversity being invited to the party. So you're invited to the party as a starting point. Inclusivity being asked to dance at the party, which makes perfect sense. Belonging, however, is allowing you to dance as you wish, being yourself, being free to be yourself, to express yourself, and equity being given the opportunity to choose the music of the party, 
So again, that notion of being part of a shared decision-making process, I think you can, you can apply that to a workplace. So I really like that sort of simple, simple analogy. And I think, you know, when we begin to think more broadly about clarity of, of DE&I, just taking the time to understand there was a World Health Organization study a few years ago to understand that, you know, 17% of the world's population have a significant visual impairment or blindness, right? So that, that's, a, that's a huge proportion of the world's population. And actually, when they surveyed a bunch of executives, again, around the same time, only 7% of the executives on the board associated with a disability, and over 50% said that the topic of disability rarely or never came up in any of their senior leadership discussions. So I think there's a huge amount of work to be done in, in closing that gap at an organizational level. So don't worry about the abbreviation, that's not an issue, but I think starting with education and understanding and learning, you know, that's really where we need to be. So we're recognizing the true potential of a diverse and inclusive workforce alongside the expectation of employees mm. that a company should be diverse. And that's really starting to grow um, in terms of other expectations employees have of a workplace. Mm. So why do you think DE&I is a focus right now? Why are organisations, you know, focusing so heavily on, on this topic? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think we all saw that through the pandemic, what that did was really to democratise organisations. And certainly from a homeworking perspective, and most of us were in that, in that situation for, for two years or so, really sort of shone a light on all of our personal lives. And I think as a result of that, there, there has been this enlarged focus on inclusivity and equity within the workplace. I think that that definitely happened. You know, the great resignation is changing everything. It's certainly changing the talent attraction landscape. I think the latest stat was that close to a million over 55s in the UK have left full-time employment, you know, during the pandemic. And as you say, younger talent are expecting, they're demanding to work in a diverse and inclusive workplace, particularly coming off the back of, as, as many of them are, you know, a very diverse, inclusive university experience for two, three or more years. So I think that's absolutely having an impact. Investors in public companies, you know, they are demanding a robust and evidenced DE&I strategy. Not just yet, we're taking care of it. Show me the evidence. You know, you, you can see that is becoming much more a fabric of their expectations. And smart founders, not all founders, but, you know, founders of organisations are also realising the value of having a, a diverse workforce. It, it just makes perfect sense. And I think we'll touch on the, the reasons for that a little bit later. So, I mean, it is important. It really is a focus for now. Arguably, it's decades late. I think we all, we all recognise that. But we should certainly all embrace the opportunity and play a role in driving that change. What does a diverse and equitable, inclusive workforce actually look like for these employees sort of requesting, requesting that and that's critical importance to them? But what does that look like? You know, have you got clients that are implementing any policies or any sort of areas within their, their company that are kind of promoting these, these topics? So mobility absolutely has a pivotal role in being a positive lever in achieving, you know, a DE&I strategy. And I think they can do that through just being great promoters of the opportunity for relocation across an organization. You know, having policies in place that drive 
and encourage inclusivity, having support that's personalized to ensure that it's seen as equitable to the family, really helping talent to see themselves in the room and the prospect of a move as something that they can actually reach out and, and, and take advantage of. I think one of the best examples for me, we had some guest speakers at the summits, is really what was shared by the mobility leadership team at Danone, which is a, a well-known organization. They already have 40% of their expats being female, which I think, again, when you compare that to many other organizations would be you know, leading class. 40% of their overall expats are also from emerging locations. So not just the traditional headquarters and regional hubs, which I think, again, is, is something that really should be applauded. And they've achieved this by putting the employee experience at the center of their global mobility program to the extent that the support that they provide to individuals that are moving is highly personalized. It's based on the individual needs of the individual and the family. They consider cultural, sexual orientation, disabilities in the program of support that they offer to their employees. So I think that's really progressive. I think that's exciting to see that organizations are doing that. Clearly that comes at high touch. You've got to be prepared to invest in the resourcing to make that happen. But I think again, we'd applaud them for that. And, and also leadership at that organization plays a huge role. They told us that their leadership will regularly share their personal experiences and stories around DEI, not all of them positive. So what they're doing is being humble and I guess they're humanizing the conversation, but they're also casting a very positive shadow to the wider organization to say, let's talk about this. You know, we don't have all the solutions, but we're, we're doing a pretty good job. I mean, other multinational corporations are making really positive moves. Again, they're positioning mobility as a lever for a more diverse workforce. We're seeing in our world, you know, partner assistance, spousal assistance shifting into the core of policy. Historically, it's been sort of somewhere in the flex or we'll get to it if we have the budget. And what that's doing is allowing employees who, who otherwise might struggle to consider a relocation to be able to go home, you know, to have a family conversation around this, to be able to say, Great news, you know, my employer's prepared to invest as you in my partner to make this happen. And when you consider, we know from our own research that when a female employee rejects the opportunity to move, 78% of the time is because their partners aren't willing to move, okay? That's staggering. You know, we should not be talking about those kind of statistics in, in this day and age. But we also know that over 70% of families rely on the dual income. It's critical to them in making the move successful. This is an easy thing to do. Take it off the table, provide the support that's needed, and really use that as a lever to create that, that more diverse mobile workforce. So it's really powerful. It absolutely helps to boost the diversity of the, uh, the mobile workforce. And if we take a, a step back to, you know, talking about mobility and how we get diversity sort of in terms of the talent selection, are you seeing more of a connection between mobility teams and talent teams in order to facilitate that and really promote that an assignment is for everyone? There is undoubtedly a much stronger link now between talent, not in every organisation, but I think the ones that are progressive, the ones that are really putting a process in place to have that world-class hire-to-retire strategy 
and recognizing the mobility has a really fundamental role. You know, mobility is often getting involved with supporting the grads or the new hires as they come into the organization. They might be getting involved as they go off on their early rotational experiences. They might be getting then involved as they take a short-term assignment further down their career, you know, a long-term or permanent move. So, you know, it's one of those continuums that I think they've suddenly for a lot of organizations figured out, ah, you know, we need to make sure these people are more closely connected. And what sort of challenges are you or your clients coming up against when promoting DE and I in the workplace? I did think about this and I was trying to think of particular examples I could I could share. I mean, for me, and I'm thinking back through my career, which I think is a good starting point, leadership sets the tone and the expectations for any kind of strategy. And I think that that is relevant for DE and I as well. And we can see from the Denon example that works. It, it's clearly hugely very successful. Employees can be concerned to speak up. Let's be honest. You know, I, I think we hear and read a lot about that. You know, they feel that it might harm their career. They could be isolated within the organization. As colleagues, you know, we can be uncertain perhaps how best to support each other. Do I say something? Will I offend that person if I say something? And, and these are all perfectly okay things to, to think about, but I think it's moving from thinking to action that, that's really important. I think there is a, a fear amongst sort of the society today with cancel culture and that if you're asking the wrong type of question or asking it in the wrong way, that you could offend somebody and, and actually cause more damage than good. But what I'm really hearing is that actually it's, it's more about that intention and making sure that yes. that is clear. Yeah, intention is the key. Take time to think about your question. I mean, I think that's that's important. And make sure that the recipient understands the purpose of the question and the conversation. And, and, you know, again, I think people will forgive you for something where they, they understand that it's a genuine mistake. And we get better, right? It's like anything in life. The more you try, the more you practice, the better you'll get, the more comfortable you'll become. Maybe you can then help to coach friends and colleagues on on asking better questions and make less mistakes. I think, you know, it is a journey, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the benefits of a diverse and equitable workforce. Have you seen any examples within your client base of, of where a strategy has really worked and, and you can see the, the benefits and the, the outcome? I mean, there's a lot of data out there. I know we've, we've sort of talked a little bit about this sort of pre-recording, but undoubtedly, I mean, the, the Harvest Business Review did a fairly robust survey not long ago, and, and employees who have that sense of strong well-being, and sorry, the strong sense of belonging, we see a 56% improvement in performance. I mean, that, that's a pretty phenomenal statistic from a source that I think we would all say is pretty reliable. And organizations see a 50% less rate of turnover. And when you think about the other conversation we had earlier in terms of the, the war for talent and their expectations, that alone, in creating that belonging environment, you know, is going to reap, you know, significant rewards. We know that diverse teams generate 20% more innovation and revenue for an organization. Why wouldn't you encourage that when compared to their sort of non-diverse, homogenous colleagues? I mean, again, plenty of research, you know, to back that up. So it can be, you know, can be a very powerful talent attraction and retention lever. As you said earlier, younger talent expect 
to be working in those dynamic, diverse teams and organisations. And talent want to be seen, they want to see themselves in the room. So partner assistance is obviously a great way to, to start kind of implementing some of these changes. What are the other areas in which companies can really start to make a change? Yeah, it's something we talked about at our at our summits, Lottie, and a lot of mobility folk have been struggling with this. You know, where do I start? Because it's a big topic. And a lot of the feedback we have from people that have made some pretty successful strides is just take a step. You know, you, you don't need to try and achieve everything in one go. So keep it simple. Connect in the first instance if you're not already with your talent colleagues. Connect with your DEI team if you have one. A lot of companies are now, as you've probably seen, hiring particular leaders and teams to really drive that strategy in organizations. So make those connections at an internal level. Invest the time. You know, make sure you understand your organization's DEI strategy. What is it? What are your goals? You know, many of these multinationals now have very, very prescribed goals around DEI. So, so take the time to, to really understand what they are before you can start to figure out how you can help to achieve them. Talk to your peers. I mean, the, the mobility community is, is wonderful. People are always very happy to talk about their own experiences and challenges. Attend events. You know, use those events as an opportunity to connect with people. Your own events are a fantastic, you know, way to be able to do that and have a conversation. And when you get to the point of, of relevant comfort, begin that process of reviewing your, your policies. Step into the shoes of other people. So really put yourself into the shoes of somebody who isn't you and make sure that you're really covering the basis here. So we're talking about your colleagues that have disabilities, your colleagues that are single parents, your colleagues that have elder care responsibilities, um, different sexual orientations, different religious beliefs. Really take all of those components into consideration and begin to review your policies through their lens. How's it gonna to feel to try and relocate domestically or halfway around the world as that person with the support that you're giving them today? Easy, hard, impossible. And that's really the acid test as you begin to then understand the gaps and there will be gaps and that's okay. You know, we'd expect there to be gaps when you conduct that review and think about the language. You know, the language, again, that you're using is very powerful. You know, does it feel within reach? Does it feel inclusive? Is it going to encourage me to, to really be a part of that mobility journey? So those are relatively simple things that people can be planning to do. I think be a champion. You know, be a champion in the world of change. There is a great opportunity here to really drive that change. Share your failures. Don't be afraid of failing. That's okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Global Mobility Unplugged, hosted by Equus Software, the leader in global mobility technology. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast or visit us at www.equisoft.com.